Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. indicators who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature this podcast is powered by Acast how you doing there it's podcast time but it is August and we're all a little bit on kind of holier mode you know we're trying to take a little bit of time off etc I'm sure you are I'm sure you've had a kind of a mare of a year with all the bloody COVID and now the Delta and are we going back, are we not going back, all that sort of stuff. So what we've decided to do is give you some fascinating conversations that we had at the Dorky Book Festival a couple of weeks ago. And the first one is a conversation between myself and Bernie Sanders. Now, Bernie Sanders, well, obviously everybody knows who he is, but I've got to know Bernie over the years. And I am now, as John always kind of scoffs, he said he'd let anybody into his club uh, Bernie has a think tank uh, called the Sanders Institute, and I'm on the board of that. And that allows me, or that one of the responsibilities is to go over to Vermont and talk to Bernie about economics, economic policy, about global economics. So it's always been a fascinating discussion. He's an exceptionally interesting man, really, really courageous man, and somebody I like a lot. Also, he happens to be the head of the U.S. Budget Committee. So he is the man who is rolling out the policies on taxation and budget of the President Biden. So not only is Bernie actually a great all-around guy, but he's also somebody who's now got his hands on the levers of power. So here's a conversation I had with Bernie at the Dorky Books Festival a couple of weeks ago. Hope you enjoy it. Bernie, how are you? Good to see you. I am very well, and how are you? I'm in great form. How's Jane? She's great. Thanks. And tell me, tell me, Bernie, I want to go straight into this, okay? We, you were here with us three years ago. We talked about a huge amount of stuff about the United States. Lots of things are happening. The Bernie agenda seems to be rolling out. Well, not as quickly as I would like it to be, but yes, we are making some very significant progress in trying to create government policy which works for working families and not just the very wealthiest people in our country. So we're making some progress. So tell me, Bernie, I'm going to ask you, when do you think, because it strikes me that America is moving very, very, I think quite rapidly, towards the progressive agenda. If you were to look out and you were to think, OK, the Bernie Sanders agenda, how close is the United States towards moving 
to that place? Well, what's happening now is, sadly, David, we're moving in, in two very different directions. In one sense, you're quite right, we are moving in a progressive direction. Uh, but in another sense, let us not underestimate the influence that Donald Trump uh, and his friends are having on American politics. And in that sense, we are moving in a very dangerous direction of not only conservative politics, but toward authoritarianism. And I'm not quite sure that our friends in Europe fully understand the extent of the crisis we're facing now in trying to defend the basic tenets uh, of democracy. The good news is that under President Biden, we have passed some very, very significant legislation, which, among other things, would cut childhood poverty in half, which provided substantial financial assistance to people in desperate need during the pandemic, which gave a very generous unemployment benefit and which invested heavily in nutrition for our kids, in housing, and in a bunch of other areas where the needs are very, very great. And right now, David, uh, I am the chairman of the Budget Committee, and I will tell you... Exactly. This is what I want to talk to you about. That's right. We are working as we speak. Soon as I get off this discussion, I'll be on the phone, working on what will probably amount to a $5 trillion budget, which is a lot That's of money. a huge amount of money. That's like 20% of American GDP, maybe, or even, even north of that. It is a huge amount of money. And what we intend to do is to begin investing in areas for working families in ways that we have not seen in the last 50 or 60 years. Bernie, I want to ask you on that issue. You know the way they say that politics is like sausage making? You don't really want to see what goes into it as long as you don't mind the end product. <laughs> so what you're saying is after you talk to me, you're going to get on the phone. How does it work? How does it work that you've got, you've got to persuade this guy and this woman and this woman? Tell me about that. Well, here is we have some basic problems which many of our European friends uh, may not be familiar with. What we start with is a president who gives us, in a sense, a budget which is kind of an outline of where he wants us to go. But the truth is, it is the Congress that writes the budget. And in this case, with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House, the president's ideas will carry significant weight, but not 100%. So what does that mean? Uh, it means that the president wants to invest very heavily in the needs of our children. And I have to say to our friends in Europe that we are way behind in terms of the rate of childhood poverty in, in the United States. So we are going to make significant investments to help working families who have kids be better able to take care of their kids. We're going to invest in child care, which we are very weak in in what we call pre-K, which is the year before kids go to public schools. We're going to invest in higher education. Right now, I don't know what the story is in Ireland. Can one go to college for free in Ireland? We can go to college for free under a certain income level, and then it's about 2000 to $2,500, or maybe three per person. But it's nothing like no, the United States. No, it's, it's a very serious problem here in America. And depending upon the college that you go to, 
Uh, you can leave school, you know, fifty, hundred thousand dollars in debt. If you go to medical school, if you go to dental school, this will shock people. People are leaving three, four hundred thousand dollars in debt. So one of the things we're trying to do is make higher education more affordable and reduce the student debt that millions of young people in this country are now uh, carrying. We're also trying to rebuild our infrastructure. Our roads and our bridges are in very bad shape, our water systems. There are millions of homes where you turn on the tap, you can't get clean drinking water. So we're going to address that. Obviously, we have got to deal with climate change. So the issue and in, in invest in energy efficiency and solar energy and wind energy, et cetera, et cetera, and transportation. Uh, so you ask me how it is done. It appears to me that Republicans are not going to cooperate at all. At all. At all. Right. For anything serious. That's correct. That's my impression at this point. I may be wrong, but that's what I think. And what, therefore, we are going to have to do is use a parliamentary process called reconciliation, which I will not bore you. These are Senate <laughs> rules that will bore everybody to death. But it means that instead of having to go to get 60 votes to overcome a filibuster, I don't know if people know what that is, uh, in the United States Senate, it is not majority rules. So I can bring forward legislation and get 59 votes and lose it because you need 60 votes to pass. Okay, I hear you. So you've got to get this last person over the line. Always. But we're not going to get that would require in a Senate, which is 50-50, we're not going to get 10 Republicans. So we're going to use the reconciliation process, which is 50 votes plus the tie-breaking vote from the vice president. Are you confused sufficiently or not? I'm confused already? sufficiently. Okay, I shouldn't have asked you the question. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's go to the fact that we like sausages, we don't care how they're made. You can, yes. you can make them. Okay. I guess I'm going to talk to you about American infrastructure. Irish people fly into the United States, mainly yeah. to JFK. And when you arrive in JFK, you realize this is a country that has not invested in infrastructure for so long. And then you get this thing called the Long Island Railroad. Okay. The Long Island Railroad looks to us, even in Ireland, like something from the 1940s. So if you want to get on public transport from JFK to Manhattan, it takes you well over an hour on really creaky infrastructure. That for me is indicative of the fact that America needs to spend and spend really big. Why would you be against that? Why would anyone be against that? Ah, uh, now you're going, I mean, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's our rail system. We're very weak in high speed rail. Our rail system in many ways is what it has been for the last 50 years. And one of the things we intend to do is invest very, very heavily in passenger and freight rail. But what you have now is a Republican Party which has become not only very conservative on economic matters. The answer is what they would tell you, what Mitch McConnell, who is the Republican leader, would tell you is that he doesn't want to spend this much money. It will drive up the deficit. What he didn't tell you is it was okay to spend well over a trillion dollars in order to give tax breaks to the very, very rich. So you have a Republican Party, and this may be hard for our friends in Ireland and Europe to understand, that really does not believe in government. 
All right. We are the only major country in the United States not to have a national health care system. It is essentially, with some exceptions, privately run by private insurance companies. And that is the way Republicans would like it and the way our corporate friends in this country uh, would like it. So the debate is whether we have a strong system of government helping people in terms of transportation, education, healthcare, environmental protection, or whether you ignore those needs or perhaps leave it to the private sector to address. But Bernie, you know what I'm getting the sense is, right? That there's two great cycles we're talking about here. One started in about 1980, with Ronald Reagan, Paul Vocker, the idea of shareholder value, let's make sure that companies only have to answer to their shareholders, we'll drive down inflation, we'll drive down wages, and we'll benefit the rich guys. And, like, as you know, all ideology has the seeds of its own destruction within it. And eventually we get to the noughties after the great crash of the teens, and inequality becomes too great for America to ignore. Am I right in saying that it seems to me that we're going into a new cycle? We don't have to go into the details of the cycle, but the idea is that we're going to take money from, let's say, profits and give it to wages to support working people, to bring down inequality. And America's kind of had enough of the Reagan miracle, the Reagan revolution, and now it's switching. And the Democrats are moving this way, and the Republicans seem to me to be left behind. Uh, to a significant degree, that is true. But I don't want you to misunderstand what Republicans are doing. We're not really, at this moment, having that type of economic debate, whether it's trickle-down theory or, or whatever. What Republicans are dealing with now, and, and you've got to understand this, my friends in Europe have got to understand this, is with conspiracy theory and big lies. In other words, probably right now, the main energy of the Republican Party has nothing to do with economics. It is that Donald Trump really won the election, and it was stolen from him by these terrible, terrible officials, including many, many Republican election officials. And because Donald Trump's victory was stolen from him, what has to happen now is we need state by state to do what they call election integrity, which really means making it harder for people of color, young people, poor people to vote, people who would vote normally, by and large, Democratic. So what you are seeing here, and I want my friends in Europe to know it, is democracy, the very tenets of democracy, are in very, very serious trouble. Do not underestimate that issue. And if we are not successful through federal legislation of overturning what many, many states are doing, you're going to see Republicans winning simply because a whole lot of people are not going to be able to vote. So you're actually worried about American democracy? Oh, yes. Now, I think maybe my European friends don't understand fully no, what's going on. I don't think we get this. I don't think... I mean, we're aware. OK, we're aware of the various, uh, you know... Trumpian fantasies. But in our world, they're kind of Trumpian fantasies. The election has no. happened. You guys have no. won. No. Okay. No. no, no, no. Please understand that there are tens of millions of people 
in this country who believe that Donald Trump actually won the election and it was stolen. Okay? Okay. They believe in very strange, I mean, it would be so outlandish, I wouldn't even bother to tell you, but when you're into conspiracy theories, into delusion, you're outside of the realm of rationality. And I'm afraid there are a whole lot of people who believe that. I mean, just the other day I heard that Trump is going around telling his friends that he's going to be reinstalled as president in August. That's how crazy... Okay, Bernie, you have a fantasist suggesting that the world is black when we know it's kind of white. Do you think that this type of politics has the capacity to continue in the States? Or do you think there's going to be a eureka moment when people say, oh, hold on a second, the Republicans themselves need a proper candidate? No, the Republican Party is now dominated by Trump people. Okay. The old-fashioned, the George Bush-type conservative Republicans, they are 5 or 10% of the Republican Party. They are absolutely irrelevant. They got a lot of media attention because the media wants to think that they're real, but they are an insignificant part of the Republican Party. I'll give you an example. I don't know if, how much you heard about it in Ireland. A woman named, named Liz Cheney. That name mean anything to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Liz Cheney happened to be the daughter of Vice President Dick Cheney. She is one of the most conservative members of the Republican Party in the Congress. She was thrown out of the leadership. She was number three in the Republican Party in the House. She was thrown out of that position. David, do you know why she was thrown out? She was too Because liberal. she said that Joe Biden won the election. Okay, so you've, they've got a truth issue. We're talking about big lies now. So a leading Republican, daughter of a former vice president, very conservative. Sure. Thrown out of leadership in the Republican Party because she said, well, Biden won, Trump lost. That is how serious the issue is. And all over the country, remember, we elect, we're not a parliamentary system. We elect members of Congress state by state in 50 states. And what's going on now in a number of states is Republican governors and legislatures are changing voting rules, clearly trying to make it harder for people of color who will vote Democratic, for young people who will vote Democratic, for lower income people who will vote Democratic, making it harder for them to vote. And many close elections where we won, you know, by a small number, we will lose those elections if these rules remain in place. Bernie, can I ask you about, we've talked about the Republican, can I ask you about the heart and soul of the Democratic Party? You and I spoke in Dublin three years ago, we chatted on stage, we went for dinner, we talked, and it was very clear to me that there was, in your head, a very clearly defined battle for the heart and soul of the left and the centre-left, the liberal and the progressive, and it's a broad church. Where do you think that is now, the battle for the heart and soul of the Democratic Party? Well, we are winning that, that battle. Um, so the progressives are winning. Your side is winning. Yeah, I, I think it's clear that ideas that five or six years ago were seemingly, in this country at least, radical, are now kind of mainstream. And that meant uh, issues like uh, raising the minimum wage to a living wage. 
uh, in this case, $15 an hour. It's now an issue supported by a majority of the American people. Back then, radical. Uh, issues like dealing with income and wealth inequality. We got two people in America who own more wealth than the bottom 40% and demanding that the wealthy start paying their fair share of taxes. That is now mainstream. And Biden has brought forth, you know, some suggestions. He can go as far as I would like, but some suggestions to do that. Putting climate change front and center and understanding that the United States has got to be a leader in the world in addressing the crisis, now kind of mainstream. Racial justice issue, immigration reform issues, more mainstream now than they were five years ago. So I think uh, higher education, making higher education affordable, dealing with child care, uh, all of those issues I think we are winning the ideological battle on. Bernie, can I ask you about yourself and Joe Biden? I mean, clearly, you know, you sat down and eight months ago and obviously did a deal and said, OK, we're broadly on the same side here. How do you guys get on? We are well. You know, I've known President Biden for a number of years. He was in the Senate and I knew him when he was vice president. Obviously, I know him as a candidate. You know, we, we had many get togethers and debates and so forth. And what he did after the election, uh, when it was clear that I was not going to win the nomination and I dropped out and endorsed Biden, to me, what was most important, David, is that Donald Trump be defeated. Uh, Trump, as uh, I have said a million times, uh, is, was the most dangerous president in American history, working to undermine democracy, et cetera, et cetera. So I work really hard uh, to try to uh, defeat Trump and elect Biden. And in the process, early on, you know, uh, Biden and I sat down and we did it by telephone in the middle of COVID. But, you know, we said, look, we have differences of opinion. I'm more progressive than Biden. How do we work together to build some kind of consensus here? So what we did is developed a number of task forces on the economy on healthcare and education, on climate change, et cetera. And I brought in some of the strongest progressives in America, and he brought in his people, and they worked on proposals, which turned out to be quite progressive. And I think that in many respects, not all, uh, Biden is following uh, the recommendations that came from those proposals. So I thought it was a very good gesture on his part uh, to be willing to sit down with some of the most uh, progressive members of Congress and, and leaders in this country uh, to work on an agenda that, that worked for both of us. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bernie, can I switch now from domestic politics? Even though American domestic politics is kind of global politics because what happens in Washington dictates the tone and to a degree, lots of copycat policies around the world. I want to talk to you about something that's happened very recently in Gaza, in Israel. You've been very, very outspoken on this. You have been, for Europeans, you've been more or less mainstream. For America, uh, maybe not. What is your view of what should be done between Israel and the Palestinians now? Well, David, I don't have to tell you or anyone that this is a horribly complicated issue. This crisis has gone on for 70 plus years maybe before that. So I don't think I can sit here and tell you A, B, and C is going to solve all the problems. But this is what I do believe. For too many years, uh, the United States has simply been 100% pro-Israel and ignored the needs and the suffering of the Palestinian people. And that is especially uh, uncomfortable for me during the Netanyahu years, where Israel has moved quite far to the right and in the Netanyahu coalition, which I imagine may be ending very shortly, there are overt racists in that coalition, that right-wing coalition. And all that I have said, which was a departure from normal discourse in Washington, is all I've said is the United States, which gives over $3 billion a year to Israel, we have got to develop an even-handed approach it cannot simply be just the needs of the Israeli government. In Gaza, as you well know, even before this last war, the suffering is extraordinary. Unemployment among young people is 70%. People are unable to leave the territory. They have water problems. Uh, they have health care problems. It is a, 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 a cauldron to boil up at any moment. And we have got to help address those problems. So. Essentially, all that I have done, and I think with some success, is to try to move American policy in a way that works well for the Palestinians, works well for the Israelis. Now, you know, one of the problems that we have is the tenets of the Oslo Agreement, the two-state agreement, have been largely undermined by new settlements in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, and that makes that harder. So I'm not here to tell you I'm an expert on it or that I can figure out a solution. But all I am asking for is that our government work with both sides and to try to bring about a peaceful resolution. And of course, the thing is America, interestingly, can move this because America is still the major player, not just with the Israelis, but you've Saudi Arabia, you've all sorts of 
allies and quasi-allies in, in the area. What do you think is going to happen under Joe Biden with Iran? I'm going I'm to stay with the Middle East. It's an area that we are very fascinated by, not least because it tends to set the tone for all sorts of other discussions. Again, well, the you... United States, I believe, will rejoin. You know, there's negotiations going on as we speak with Iran and an effort to rejoin the nuclear uh, treaty to prevent Iran from developing nuclear weapons. Uh, and again, I have been concerned in the past, just as I have been concerned about the Israel-Palestinian conflict in the United States being one-sided, you look at the major players in the Middle East and you're looking at Saudi Arabia and you're looking at Iran. Well, you know, Iran is far from a perfect country in many respects. But you know what? Saudi Arabia is not exactly what we call Jeffersonian democracy as well. This Nicely is a country put, run. Pardon me? Nicely put. <laughs> you know, this is a country and you got the UAE there. These are dictatorships where women are considered fourth class citizens where migrant workers are treated terribly. Uh, and you can't turn a blind eye on that and say, oh, Iran is the bad guy all the time. So the goal would be, again, all of these issues, David, it's easy to talk about sure, it. It's a lot harder sure. to bring them to effect. But I would hope that we would bring the Saudi Arabians and the other Emirates uh, to the table with Iran and see what we can work out uh, in that region. Bernie, can I, can I focus now on an issue that has been very much central to the progressive thinking, which has been the role of big tech, the role of big corporations. The reason I ask is we're sitting here in Dublin, we're very, very exposed to very large American tech, American corporations. Joe Biden has brought in this idea that we're going to, America is going to try and raise corporation tax, etc. We talked about this in Dublin three years ago. Where do you think... American policy towards tax with large multinationals is going to go, particularly the tech sector? Well, tech is, I, I wish I could tell you that I was more knowledgeable than I am. It is such a huge issue. I can tell you what the problems are, clearly. The solutions are more difficult. Problems are that you have a handful of giant, giant companies that to an increasing degree control what we see and what we hear, you know. And in America, we are very proud of having what we call our First Amendment to the Constitution. It's called freedom of speech. You want to publish, you publish whatever you want to publish. You want to put out a newspaper. But people are not communicating the way we used to via newspapers. And it's not a question of having a soapbox in Hyde Park or on the town square. It is a question of using the Internet. And what we are seeing now is a few people with great power controlling the Internet. And that concerns me very, very much. In terms of the overall American economy, what has happened in the last many years under Republicans and Democrats is we have seen in high tech, in agriculture, in media, in finance, in industry after industry, a few very, very large corporate interests dominate that's those sectors. Very small numbers. Uh, agriculture, it's really stunning how few large corporations control food supply in America. 
in media, above and beyond the internet, there are a handful of very large corporations that own what you see on television or hear on the radio uh, or in newspapers. So what we in the United States, theoretically, we have legislation, it's called antitrust legislation, which says that government should be breaking up monopolistic tendencies in one industry after another. It has not been done. It really has not been done, with very, very few exceptions. And I think you're going to see at least some of us taking a hard look in the need to expand antitrust legislation to break some of these very large entities up. And I would say Wall Street is, is one very clear example. Everybody remembers the terrible recession of 2009, the Wall Street crash, the greed, illegal behavior on Wall Street. And we would bail them out because they were too big to fail. Well, most of these banks are now bigger than they were before we bailed them out. So this is an issue that's on the table uh, that uh, we need to go forward on. And we have, of course, in the States, we have an example. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt, not even Franklin Roosevelt. Teddy, is his uncle, a long time previously, he's the guy who brought in Rockefeller and Carnegie and, you know, the, the big oil guys and said, listen, guys, you're too powerful. Yes. And he was the trust buster, what we call the yeah. trust buster. And would you think that this is part of the, what I call the Biden-Bernie agenda? Because I really see it as a foreigner. I, I, I look at Joe Biden and I see him moving to the left. I look at you and I see you moving to the center in the sense of how do we get things done? How do we practically get things done? Bury the hatchet. Would this be part of maybe the post-midterm election? Biden I think so. Campaign? Yeah, I, I really do think so. The answer to your question is absolutely yes. But I will tell you the problem, which takes us into another issue that Europeans may not be familiar with in terms of what goes on in America. And that is at a time when we're looking at massive income and wealth inequality, where half of the people in America are living paycheck to paycheck, while the very, very rich are doing phenomenally well, when you're looking at an economy where large corporations are getting bigger and bigger and control more and more of our economy, you might say, well, why isn't the government doing something about it? And the answer is these guys are very powerful. And under our political system, they make huge campaign contributions. So right now, the likelihood is, David, that depending on the prescription drug, you know, depending on the illness that you have, whether it's cancer or heart disease or whatever it may be, it's very likely that in America we will pay five times as much for the same exact drug that you're purchasing in Ireland or in the UK. Well, I remember even the last time we met, Bernie, we were in Vermont, in Burlington, your hometown, which is like 60 miles from Canada, maybe 70 miles max from Montreal, and you were explaining to me exactly this issue, that if you're a Canadian citizen just across yeah. the road, right. you pay substantially less. So yeah. this, is, this is price gouging by the big... Absolutely. But what you should know, and this is an issue that we're working on as we speak, and I hope to address this issue within the next few months. But the pharmaceutical industry, David, has never, ever in the United States lost a political battle. In other words, if you are taking a 
taking insulin or whatever it may be. Yeah. Okay. Today, it is perfectly legal for them to double the price of what you pay. There is no law to stop them at all. They can charge any price they want. Now, we intend to put an end to that in the next few months, and we have very big legislation to do that. But that's power. That's raw political power. You buy and sell politicians with campaign contributions. You have thousands of what we call lobbyists. You know what a lobbyist is? Sure. No, no, absolutely. All right. Again, I don't know if these terms mean but anything. Somebody, somebody once told me, Bernie, that in the States, the Republicans are always for sale. The Democrats are just for rent. Something like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not a good situation. No, it's not. So, Bernie, can I begin the, the, to ask you something else about Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders, the person. You have spent so many years in the wilderness, very much so in the wilderness. When, when, when I first mentioned your name to people, when you and I talked, a lot of Americans say, oh, it's too radical, it's too socialist, it's too progressive, it ain't going to happen. And now here you are, head of the budget committee, which is quite an achievement. And it's quite, it's quite a moment for celebration. When you're back home, as you are now in Burlington, and you've, the hurly-burly of Washington's over, and you come home on a Friday night, and you're knackered, and you're talking to Jane, is there a sense that you might say, we're getting there? Um... You know, everyone's personality is a little bit different. Uh, and mine, David, is certainly, I am very proud and more than aware that I am chairman of the Budget Committee. But to me, every single day, there is a struggle. And um, I mentioned to you before that we're working on a multi-trillion dollar piece of legislation. And right now, literally, as we speak, we're trying to figure out the exact ways that we can make higher education more affordable, how we can make childcare a stronger system here in the United States. What kind of taxes? What is the best policy to raise taxes on the wealthy and large corporations? Easier to say, do it. What is the most effective way of doing it, getting the results that we want? So to answer your question, I think I'm not much in a celebratory mood. We're too much in the midst of the struggle to try to figure out how we go forward. But no, Bernie, when I, when I, uh, yeah, I know you're, you're, you're playing it down here, but when I, when I hear like Jay Powell, Janet Yellen, all these people who not that long ago in the Obama administration, and prior to that were kind of hawkish, conservative, you can't do yep. this. Now I see them saying, uh, look, give me the bill, give me the invoice, and we'll give you the dollars. I mean, this is a monumental change. Yes, it is. It is. And in that regard, you know, I, I think what's happened there, David, getting back to the point you made earlier, which maybe I underplayed, is where we have made progress in this country is we are building a strong grassroots movement of often young people and working people who, as you indicated, are no longer satisfied with Reaganism or neoliberalism. They understand that they are struggling while the people on top are doing very, very well. And the ideas that we have brought forth, which are expensive ideas, I think are ideas that President Biden has understood that in this moment, we are living in an extraordinarily dangerous moment. We came out of, we're still struggling with COVID. How do you deal with that? 
And that's an expensive proposition. How do you protect people in the United States who couldn't go to work, who literally were lining up in the streets for emergency food packages? Well, you had to address that issue, and we did it big. And now what I think Biden and I and others are saying, this is the moment when we deal with the long-term structural problems facing America, whether it is physical, i.e. infrastructure, or climate change, or whether it is human infrastructure, whether it is education, health care, uh, or child care. This is the moment. And that's why we're looking at a $5 trillion bill. That's why we're looking at raising trillions of dollars in new revenue from the wealthy and large corporations, because this is the moment. Bernie, can we conclude in a statistic I read the other day, which was that in 2019, for the first time ever in the United States, white non-Hispanic babies will be in the minority. So we're looking at a country whose complexion, whose very complexion is changing. And you project that forward 10, 15 years, you've got a totally different society. Are you optimistic? Or let's say, what do you think you should do now to make sure that we talked about Trump and Trump and the issues of race and all that sort of stuff, to make sure that that more multicolored and multi-ethnic America becomes a successful place? Yes, absolutely, David. Uh, you know, what we, when we describe our progressive movement, we often refer to it as a multiracial, multigenerational movement. And a lot of the energy that went into Biden's victory and the Democrats' success in the last election comes from young people who are passionate in their, and, and not only young people, but young people of color who obviously are passionate about the need for racial justice in America in combating systemic racism, who understand that in America now we have 10 million undocumented immigrants who are living perilous lives and that we need to give them stability by moving toward comprehensive immigration reform. So addressing the racism that has gone on in this country for a very long time and creating the kind of multiracial nation where people work well together, respect each other, is, you know, the high, of the highest priority. And are you confident you're getting there? Because the Trump, the Trump era, Trump period, for me as a, as a European, was a very dark period in American race issues. Lots of dog whistling, Lots of moving towards things. I'm saying, well, I'm not really saying that, but actually, this is what I mean. I yes. mean, are you confident that the United States is coming out of that? No, I'm not. I think we're in the midst of a terrible struggle. And as I've indicated to you, and people can believe me or not, but I'm not wrong on this. We are fighting for the very foundations of American democracy, whether all people have the right to vote. And what the Trump party is doing right now uh, is working overtime in a very systematic way to try to deprive people who will vote against them from voting. And if they are successful, that means right-wing Republicans will prevail in election after election. And these are very aggressive people. On the other hand, in opposition to that, there is a younger generation, which is certainly the 
least racist, most idealistic generation in the modern history of this country. So you're seeing those two competing uh, trends in American society. Bernie, we will leave it there. Bernie Sanders, again, thank you so much for your time. And we'll see you in Dorky, hopefully, next year. All right. I love, I love Ireland. My wife loves Ireland. She's Irish. Uh, we will see you there soon. Take Great care. stuff, Bernie. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye. Just a quick note to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And if you fancy supporting us on Patreon, you can check us out at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.